Thank you. I've been here before, and it's good to be back, but I'm sorry it's under these circumstances. I hope you'll invite me again another time when we can be somewhat more joyful. I have a five-year-old granddaughter. She comes to me and she says, Grandpa, if I ask you a question, will you answer yes? It's kind of like giving somebody a blank check, isn't it? You have to hope that you can word the answer saying yes to get the message across that you want or need to. Ten prayers that God will always answer yes. God has given us that blank check. And this message is based on a book from 2007 by Anthony DiStefano. And I found it intriguing. These ten prayers, which God will always give the answer yes, are really answers to many of the questions and the difficult problems of life. Today, outside the church and inside the church. You know, many of us think of God as the grantor of wishes. Like a genie in the magic bottle. And we naively think that prayer is a me-based shopping list of all the things that we want or desire. Lord, make me handsome. Lord, make me pretty. Make me rich. Make me comfortable. Is this not working? That's okay. We'll figure it out. I love technology, especially when it works. Make me pretty, make me handsome, make me rich, make me comfortable, make me free from all adversities. And you know, many of us don't think about our prayers. We don't think about the words that we use. How many of you ever pray, Lord, we just worship you? Just is a limiting word. Have you ever told your five-year-old you can have just one cookie? So why would we ask God to just worship you when we could honor, bless, do all kinds of other things at the same time? And yet we don't think of our words. And they're not answered. Because our prayers are not in tune with God's ultimate will for us, for others, and for the world. We pray and ask God to curse and condemn our enemies when God commands us to love and care for them and feed our enemies. We want God to give us our daily bread when we fail to share that loaf of bread with the less fortunate. The God who tells us to ask and you will receive, to seek and you will find, to knock and the door will be open to you, at least to us, to our, to our minds, he appears deaf to our prayers. But there are prayers that do work. Prayers that God always hears, 
prayers that God will always answer with the resounding yes. And when we come to understand these ten prayers, we can discover all the power of God's Holy Spirit and see unimaginable results in our prayer life and our ministry. The first prayer that God will always answer yes is, God, show me that you exist. Which is another way of saying, I wish I could believe. This is the first one I want to talk to us because it's the basic starting point for everything that follows. Either God exists or he doesn't. And if he doesn't, then there's no point in all the debates or the discussions about it. If God doesn't exist, then no prayer can ever be answered. Ever. All of the great philosophical arguments, pro and con, for the existence of God are meaningless if the first premise is false. But there's an amazing and overwhelming evidence that if you or I or anyone asks God to reveal himself to us, to let us see that you do exist, God will do so. And often in ways and with such speed that absolutely amazes us. God is not an argument, you see. God is not a concept, a construct. God is a living being. In the Old Testament story of Genesis 33, Moses offers this prayer in conversation with God. God responds, Moses says, show me your glory. Basically, he's saying, show me that you exist. Show me that I can see you. And God does reveal his glory, placing him in the crack on the rock and covering him with his hand so he would not be evaporated by the glory of God. Ask any new mom or new dad how this prayer might be answered. And they might see tiny little fingers wrapped around their own. When that newborn baby is holding your finger, you believe in a God. A nature lover might see God in a sunset, a magnificent sunset, or a doe and a fawn down by the river. God will show you that he exists. The second prayer to which God always answers yes is, make me an instrument which is basically asking the question, why should I get involved? And once we have the answer to our prayer that God's existence, it makes our Christian faith come alive. Now we need to act on God's word and instructions, instructions to us as we, as we live out our faith. And this particular prayer, God will answer most consistently, most expediently, and perhaps the fastest of all the prayers we ever offer. Lord, use me. It's a dangerous prayer. It's like, it's like the, the king player going to the coach. Coach, put me in. I want to play. St. Francis of Assisi offered such a prayer. We sang it a while ago. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me so love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. 
Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O divine master, grant that I may not seek to be consoled as to console. To understand as to be understood. To be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born into eternal life. Amen. This is the prayer where we ask God to use us. To make us his instruments. And God will always answer this prayer. And I think every believer, every saint who's ever had an effective ministry has prayed this prayer. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, Martin Luther King. The next prayer is, God, outdo me in generosity. Outdo me in generosity. And the real question behind this is, what's in it for me? For, for many years now, it has been a popular fashion for some pastors to advocate that God wants us wealthy and healthy, to name it and claim it. And these advocates of the prosperity gospel wear high fashion clothes, brand name watches, and drive fancy big cars, have their lavish estates and their own aeroplanes. But they miss the point of the scripture. God is really saying, if you give away something, I will outdo you in generosity. Pioneer Clubs at the church that I first served as pastor had a little song, Love is like a, a penny that you find on the road. Give it away and it will come flowing back to you. If you need to give community service and carry a woman's gear for a mile, go to and see how much you are blessed. If you have a small copper coin, that's all you've got, give it to God and see what he does with it. Or five loaves and a couple of fish, give it to God and see what he does with it. Mary accepted her lot when she was met by the angel Gabriel. She gave away her uterus, her reputation, her honor, and look at the generations of veneration and respect that she has had in return. You can't out-generous God. And praying this prayer as we extend your generosity to others is an open invitation to watch God bless us and to roll in as we shower others with those blessings. The next prayer to which God will always answer yes is, God, get me through this suffering. I can't take it anymore. When you're driving through a torrential rainpour, downpour, the flashing lights and lightning and high winds, you do not consider where the storm came from. You don't care about the meeting of hot weather and cold weather and the storm, the science of the storm, the convergence of weather systems and pressures. No, 
In such situations, you firmly grasp the steering wheel, you watch the road carefully, and focus all of your attention and your energy on driving. And analyzing it can come later when you're safely home and out of danger, out of the desperateness of the situation. The same holds true for every suffering situation, grief, loss, pain, heartache, calamity. In the midst of such thing is not the best time to be asking why, or trying to figure it out, or even ask the question, why me? We can do that later, much later, when we reflect on things, discuss it with friends and family, and even God. But in the midst of the crisis, we simply ask for God's strength, and we carry on. We ask for God's strength to get us through it. In the garden, Jesus asked that he not have to die, and if he could avoid what lay ahead. And God said no. But God gave strength and sent angels to care for him and to strengthen him and to encourage him. And we're no different. God will help us through every trial and every struggle. On my way down here this morning, I, 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 I rehearsed, I carefully rehearsed an apology to you that, that I was coming and I was not dressed appropriately as I considered a pastor's dress should be. But one of the side effects of the cancer medication I've been on for the last year is weight gain. I can't get into any of my suits. I was very relieved when I got here and discovered that a sweater's okay. But for the last two years, I've been struggling with this cancer thing. And when I'm in the middle of it, it's not the time to say, why me? It's just, I need the strength day by day to get through all of this stuff. And we'll figure it out later, or never. Which brings us to the next question. God, forgive me. Am I a terrible person? When you, have a when you have a headache, you take an aspirin or something similar, that's fairly easy, isn't it? You don't have to find the chemicals, follow the recipe carefully, and create the medicine after you've done all the research and the testing. Someone else did all of that hard and expensive work. You lock yourself out of your house or your car, and you have to call a locksmith who comes with all of his tools and drills out the lock and replaces it and gives you new keys to allow you back into your house. And you didn't do anything except watch while they did all the work. These two examples are simple illustrations of how we benefit from the more expensive and costly work of others, which is exactly the same with forgiveness. It costs. Forgiveness is costly, and someone else usually pays the price for it. Parents and grandparents, you know the old adage, never give a toddler more than you want to clean up? Accidents happen, and we forgive them, but we still have to clean it up. 
The Cancer Foundation has received millions, perhaps hundreds of millions of research dollars through the Terry Fox runs every year. Terry Fox struggled halfway across Canada in pain and discomfort and eventually died from that cancer, the cancer that claimed his leg and his youth. He paid an enormous price. He paid an enormous price. And many other people have benefited from it. God paid the price for our forgiveness. The terrible price of his one and only son who died on the cross as the eternal remedy for all sin. And it is that work, that very expensive and costly work of Jesus that allows us to enjoy that forgiveness. We couldn't begin to pay for it ourselves. But we all want it. We all want it when we're filled with remorse and guilt for our actions and our hurtful words. If we ask God to forgive us, he will. He will always say yes to this prayer because otherwise it cheapens and lessens the work of Jesus and throws away all that it cost him. The next prayer is, God, give me peace. The stress is killing me. In today's busy, fast-paced world, we are filled with anxiety and worry and pressures and stress as we worry about work. We worry about not having work. We worry about money. We worry about retirement. We worry about our kids and our grandkids. We worry about illness and health. We worry about debilitating diseases and natural disasters. We worry about politicians. We worry about not having politicians. We worry all the time about one thing or another. Deep-seated anxieties. And in our quest for peace, and freedom from these worries, people turn to drugs, prescription drugs, tranquilizers, more non-prescription street drugs, anything to dull the pressure, anything to dull the pain. We search for peace in Eastern meditations, in yoga, in alcohol, in escape vacations, in, in everything imaginable. Some people even into reclusiveness, cocooning and hiding away. We listen to songs like the Beatles, Give Peace a Chance, but no one had peace. No one finds peace. No one experienced peace until they found the deep-seated inner peace that comes only from God, the Prince of Peace. One cannot find any peace, any real peace outside of God. And those who search for peace but exclude God will never, ever, ever find it. God isn't going to give you a superficial peace, an emotional, warm, fuzzy peace, or a happiness peace, but a genuine, deep-seated peace that grows out of our relationship with him. We may not know where it all ends up, or how everything will be resolved and how it will be worked out, but if God is leading and directing, I'm going. How does a young person paralyzed from a car accident have the strength and peace to encourage and affirm those who 
wait impatiently by his bedside. How do people whose homes and life's possessions were destroyed by a tornado have the peace to assist their neighbors and encourage them and care for them in their darkness? They have asked God for peace, you see, and God has given peace in abundance, and they are able to move on in spite of the troubles and all else that's going around them. This is the request for peace that God will never, ever refuse. In John's Gospel, let not your hearts be troubled. Or in Psalm and 1 Peter, cast your cares on the Lord because he cares for you. Or from the Sermon on the Mount, when who of you by wearying can add a single hour to your life? Your heavenly Father wants you to have peace in your hearts, even when there's no peace in your lives. The next prayer that God will always answer yes is, God, give me courage. It's our way of saying, I'm afraid. I saw a t-shirt recently. I think they were hobbling on crutches at the time. And the t-shirt read, it seemed like a really good idea at the time. And I saw a meme on Facebook the other day that said, don't do anything that you wouldn't want to just tell the paramedics. Ask my wife and she will tell you stories of her rapidly aging husband climbing trees, riding his bicycle on 22-kilometer off-road trails marked not for novices, or scaling sheer rock face cliffs to get into caves. And those are only the ones she knows about, by the way. But it's hard for people, especially men, to admit that they are afraid. We'll confess to many things. We'll confess to short tempers, violent outbursts, foolishness, many things. But few of us will ever say, I'm afraid. But there's a big difference between the foolishness that most of us get into, and here I speak for myself, and true bravery, true courage. 144 times in the Bible we read and we hear the phrase, do not be afraid. But we are still afraid of many things. Ask the parents of teenagers who are out with the family car and the phone rings late at night. Ask the spouse of an overseas soldier when two uniformed officers knock at the door unexpectedly. Ask the patient who has just received the results of their cancer test. People know fear. They are afraid. And God will give courage when we ask for it. I guess we need to note here that God doesn't take away the cancer or change the circumstances, but God does grant courage to help us get through it, whatever it is. There's great comfort in knowing that God will always say yes to this prayer, for this is the prayer of acknowledgement, not a prayer of denial. When we pray this prayer and ask for courage, you know in your heart of hearts that this situation can't change, won't change, and there's nothing we can do about it except survive it, overcome it, 
and live through it. The next one is, God, give me wisdom. Sometimes being smart isn't enough. I, I, I really love the quotation from Di Stefano's book to begin this chapter. God has placed obvious limits on our intelligence, but none whatsoever on our stupidity. <laughs> we were talking the other day about kids, and, and, and we've got some health concerns in our family. It's a celiac is a genetic disease, and it tends to skip generations. Well, my five-year-old granddaughter was just recently described uh, prescribed or, or diagnosed with, with celiac disease. And it's changed their lives. And I say, well, praise God that she didn't inherit the stupid gene. The wise men of all the ages had something that the people around them did not have, access to information. They could read and they could write, and so they wrote things down and could reaccess them when they needed. The Stone Age people who built Stonehenge wanted to know when the sun aligned so that they knew when to plant their grain and their crops. And if you planted it too early, it would freeze, and if you planted it too late, it wouldn't mature. And, and so they had to find some way to do that. Information was power. Even then, and the same is true today, we have information at our fingertips, always. Everything can be found on the internet. And it's never further away than my smartphone, which is out in the foyer, and I'm having separation anxieties. Never very far away from the information of the age. But it's not quite the same as wisdom. The information can make one wise if and only if we use that information wisely. Let's go back to the Stonehenge people for a second. They pay their local wise man to tell them when to plant their grain. But if they didn't save any grain over the winter, or they couldn't be bothered planting it, or they didn't work the soil, they had all of the information but still acted unwisely. Throughout the book of the Proverbs, people are encouraged to seek wisdom, pursue it, chase after it. And those who did not find it or would not find it were described as fools. Solomon came to the throne of Israel after his father David had died and after a brief civil war. In his prayer, he, he takes the throne and he asks God for wisdom to rule these people and to rule justly and to make good and wise decisions and beneficial decisions for his kingdom. First Chronicles 1.11, God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire, that you have not asked for wealth or riches or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and, and since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern this people over whom I have made you king. Therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. And I will also give you wealth, riches, honor, and such that no king has ever seen before you or will ever see after you. Remember that prayer about out-generositying out, out God? There it is at work. We might never become as wise as Solomon, 
but we will always receive wisdom, the wisdom that we need when we ask God for it. You see, in order, for ask, in order to ask for wisdom, one must be humble. One must say, I don't know. A proud and arrogant person won't ask. We've all met them, haven't we? A proud or arrogant person won't ask. They believe they have that already, or they don't need any outside help. One must recognize and admit the need for wisdom before one is even ready to receive it. But when they ask for wisdom, God will always answer yes and provide it in great abundance. Our next prayer, number nine. God, bring me out of this bad situation, which is basically asking the question, will I ever be happy again? God, please bring some good out of this bad situation. This is one of the most powerful prayers in the world, and also one of the hardest to ask. Many years ago, 44 years ago, I think, my wife and I lost a child. She was 10 weeks old. We were driving in the car one day after this, coming home from the funeral or a reception. And my wife and I said, how do we, how do we bring some good out of this death? How do we redeem Sean's life with something good? Bring some good out of this otherwise bad situation. To pray this prayer, you need to know, first of all, that things aren't going to get better. They're not going to change. They're not going to suddenly be rosy and sunshiny bright. It's an acceptance of the reality, and it's a fervent request of God to bring some good out of it. In my 40-odd years of ministry, I have been in the hospital on many occasions to pray with families who've been told that their loved one will not survive and will be taken off life support. And I've met with that same family as they've celebrated the amazing number of people who've been helped by organs and body tissues donated by that deceased person. We read stories about people listening to the their child's heart in the chest of another person who's alive. Romans 8.28 is a familiar verse that reads, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. The fact is there is good in everything. The prayers don't make the situation any easier. But it does redeem the situation and bring benefit and goodness to his purposes. The fact that there is good in everything brings it alive for us. There is, there is hope. 
When I go to the hospital, as I mentioned before, or meet families at the funeral home, especially when their visit involves young people or people in the prime of life, I often pray with them. And in those prayers, I ask God to show the family, show everyone, show them the good in this situation. Help them to find the good in this situation. And there is always an answer as God reveals himself and all of the benefits for those who seek it. Which leads us now to our tenth and final question. God, lead me to my destiny. Which is another way of saying, why the heck am I here anyway? Forrest Gump tells us that life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. But the interesting observation is that Forrest never tells us that he does or doesn't like the chocolate that he gets. He just acknowledges that he gets them. Have you ever bit into a chocolate and discovered that it's something you don't like? You were hoping for a caramel and you got a soft nougat. If you're a Harry Potter fan, it's kind of like sticking your hand in the, bottle, the box of Birdie Bot's Every Flavored Bean and coming up. Dumbledore got an earwax-flavored one. I mean, I'm, The author whose book I've been basing this message on, Anthony DiStefano, tells a wonderful story about a father and a daughter who bond in a, and develop a strong relationship. When the father is going away on a business trip and packing, the little girl packs her Snoopy toothbrush and her feedy pajamas and she says, Daddy, I have to go with you and take care of you. Later, she's an honor student and excelled in all that she tried. And she's planning on becoming a lawyer. But in one of her part-time temporary jobs she took to complete her schooling, she fell in love with the children she cared for, teaching them, helping them to learn their letters and their numbers and their colors. And she abandoned her dream of being a lawyer and became a kindergarten teacher instead. Her father later develops Alzheimer's and loses all the faculties that he once enjoyed. She came to the house often to assist her mother and care for him, teaching him again and again and again how to tie his shoes and remember his numbers and his letters and his colors. It seemed that her 10 years as a kindergarten teacher prepared her to care for her father, the man that she loved all of her life. We'd all like to know why we're here. We'd all like to know, why am I here on this planet at this time? Perhaps her person, her purpose, her reason for life was to look after her dad. We'd like to know that we've contributed something, something to the greater benefit of humanity and our fellow life travelers. Occasionally, at some significant event in our lives, retirement, parties, or such the like, people will tell what impact you had on their lives. I often am saddened when I hear that at funerals. Why didn't you tell them when they were alive? What impact they had on their life. And it makes us feel good and complete and a sense of accomplishment and a sense of fulfillment. 
And many times we just don't know why are we here. But when you ask, God will reveal this to you. And I expect you've seen the unfinishedness. My spell checker keeps marking that one. Unfinishedness of the question and the prayer. The more we ask, the more God has in store for us. The more we accomplish for him, the more he lays out for us to do. Our destiny unfolds as we walk into the future with God. Paul encourages us to pray. Pray without ceasing. And what better way to pray than to start with the prayers that God is eager and willing to answer yes? Can you pray any of those prayers? God wants to say yes. Pray with me, please. Gracious God, we lay before you some of the burdens of our heart. And we want to keep in your plan for our lives. We want to keep in your plan for the life of this church and congregation. And we know that if we ask, show us that purpose, that you'll say yes. And you know that if we ask, Lord, help me to do what you want me to do, and you'll show us. And those are scary prayers because they require time and commitment and money and energy and things that sometimes we don't want to put out. But Lord, teach us to pray the prayers that will always get a resounding yes from you. Lord, right now I pray for Pastor Steve and his family. I pray that you would see them through this troubled time. Show Steve his purpose. Let him know why he's here. And if he has been an encouragement to us, help us to tell him so that he knows. We pray, Lord, that you would bring good out of this situation, whatever that is, however that good looks. We don't know. But we know, Lord, that the neighbors are watching. The community is watching. And if some good can come out of that, that wakens them to your sense, your, your, your presence, then that's okay too. Lord, I pray that you would answer our prayers with a resounding yes. For we offer them all in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.